Greetings, passengers of the Brace in Place podcast, a podcast all about the TV show Snowpiercer. I will be your conductor slash podcast host, Hillary. Be advised that this show does contain spoilers, so use caution as needed. This episode also contains themes of suicide, self-harm, and sexual exploitation, so use discretion and care for yourself if need be. Today's episode will cover Season 2, Episode 4, titled A Single Trade. We will include a recap as well as ongoing discussion of theories, unanswered cliffhangers, and predictions. As always, we will end with our segment, What Random, Burning, Completely Irrelevant Question About the Train Has Hillary Asked This Week? But first, brace in place for our official entry into this week's episode. All right. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Brace in Place podcast. Um, I'm happy to hear from all of you. Uh, we've had some discussions in the Facebook group, um, which you can search for on Facebook just by, by looking for Brace in Place, a Snowpiercer podcast, um, and submit uh, a request for me to let you in. You can also uh, leave an iTunes review if you feel so inclined. That helps more people find the podcast, which means there'll be more discussions and more theories and just more fun. So uh, somebody left my first iTunes review. I'm very excited about it. So I've got to give a shout out to Lizzie Lou 86 who says, Love this podcast. Such an amazing insight from our conductor, Hillary. Thanks for the ride. Can't wait to watch the rest of season two with Brace in place. So thank you to Lizzie Lou. Um, thank you for joining me for this ride. It's uh, It's been so fun, and I just love this show, and I love hearing from all of you about your theories and questions and feedback. So that being said, feel free to leave an iTunes review if you feel so inclined, and let's dive into our recap of season two episode four, which is titled A Single Trade. So this episode starts off with a very sultry scene of Miss Audrey dancing in the night car. She's talking about trade. She gives a pretty good quote that I will actually end the episode with, spoiler alert. And while she's dancing, she lifts her arm up in a very sensual, sultry kind of way. And then you see a very large cut on her arm, a very large scar. And so we'll get to that later. We'll find out what that's about. But that happens in the very first scene. So from the very first scene, you know that you're in for it with this episode, that that's going to be, uh, you're going to learn some about, learn some things about Miss Audrey, which we did. Then it cuts to Zara and Andre in the dining car, having some breakfast, getting ready for the day. In comes our girl Ruth with some communique. Isn't that her word that she used a few episodes ago? Her communique from Wilford um, with a little note saying that um, he's going to help with some of the frostbite victims. And so immediately they're thinking, well, maybe he'll help with Josie. That would be great. But Andre doesn't really particularly care about this. Um, He writes back a very short response saying, um, what do you want? So basically, you're going to give me this thing. What do you want in return? Um, what's interesting about this is Ruth goes to take the communique back to Mr. Wilford, and she takes a little peek at the response. So she knows uh, what Andre is asking Mr. Wilford, and she's, she kind of rolls her eyes at it. She's a little she's a little done with Andre's mistrust and with his uh, lack of, you know, basically just lack of trust. Um, she's, she's kind of over it. And that comes about later as well. Um, 
Alex somehow gets a hold of the letter and brings it into Mr. Wilford. And she starts, he's kind of leaning back in his little conductor chair, looking like he's taking a little nap or poo. Um, So she waves the letter in front of him and he says, I'm not sleeping, just so you know. Um, And then he, you know, kind of comes to and looks at the letter. I thought this was an interesting little tidbit that they did because I felt like it was kind of showing that Alex is starting to maybe lose some respect for Wilford. Um, That seems kind of like a ballsy move to do something like that, to kind of play around with him um, when he doesn't really seem like he likes to play on other people's terms. It's kind of just his terms. So I thought that was maybe an important uh, character development there that Alex is starting to kind of almost make fun of him a little bit and see him for being kind of the silly cartoon character that he is. Then we see Till, best Till, goes to see the pastor. And while on the way to see the pastor, she sees a big shrine of all of the people from Snowpiercer. Somehow they got pictures of everybody. And it shows um, all of the pictures of people from Snowpiercer that have died or been killed. Um, And she gets very upset about this. This is very um, emotional for her. She kind of wonders um, how many more of us are going to be left. And, you know, at this rate, my gosh, we're just kind of dropping like flies around here. Um, He tries to comfort her. And she's not having it. So something shady is going on with this pastor. I don't really know what it is, but maybe we'll see that in future episodes. Then it cuts to Ben and Javi, who are up in the engine, up in the engine car. And that's when we find out that this episode is taking place three days after Melanie left. So she's been out in the cold at the snow station or trying to get to the snow station for three days. Um, Ben is clearly very worried about her. Um, Javi kind of says, you know, she'll be fine. She, you know, got the systems in line and, you know, everything's okay. But you can tell that Ben really cares a lot about her and is worried. Then we move on to Andre and Miss uh, Andre and Miss Audrey. And we find out a little bit more about her history with uh, Mr. Wilford because Andre basically goes to her to say, um, we need your help. We need your help in, excuse me, kind of infiltrating Mr. Wilford so that we can take control of the train and have the train be the, the democracy that we were hoping that it would be and have, you know, no classes like we wanted it to be. But he knows that he needs Miss Audrey for that. And he can kind of sense that they had a special relationship before Snowpiercer happened. And so we find out a little bit about that. We find out that Miss Audrey... And she says this herself. She says, I was a high-end escort at age 18, um, but I was his exclusively for years. Um, So she was a high-end escort, but was only used, um, I I shouldn't say used, but, you know, was was basically only for uh, Mr. Wilford's taking. Uh, she She says, it paid in gold, but I lost everything. So we learn a little bit more about that, about what that means. Um, But she says, basically, at this point, I will be on board and I will help uh, get 
get do whatever we need to do to to kind of take Snowpiercer back and Big Alice back, but she's not doing it for anybody else. She's not doing it for for Wilford. She's not doing it for the train. She's not doing it for Andre. She's not doing it for anybody. She's doing it for herself. So Miss Audrey is on a mission to do some things to heal. And, you know, as a therapist, I dig that. So you go, Miss Audrey. Cut to Mr. Wilford um, is talking to Alex about Miss Audrey. So this is just a very Miss Audrey themed um, episode. And Alex uses the word paramour and he becomes kind of upset about that. Um, initially kind of started having a little bit of a joke about it that, you know, she, um, Paramore, what kind of novels are you reading? Because that's such a weird word to use. Um, but he doesn't like it. He wants her to know that she's a poem. His direct quote was, she's a poem. You hear me? Witchy bird of grace that holds the soul of the train. She's key. And so that tells you that this whole relationship is very touchy, not just for Audrey, but for Wilford as well. We then get to find out who from Big Alice is going to go to a celebration over on Snowpiercer. So Snowpiercer has decided, let's have a gathering where we welcome Wilford over here. And we celebrate the fact that Melanie's uh, doing what she's been doing um, to get the research that we need uh, to see if we can leave Snowpiercer and start colonizing Earth again. Uh, They're going to have some kind of scientific setup where they release these balloons and then she pushes a button to say, okay, I'm here gathering the data. So that will tell everybody that the process of gathering the data is, is going and is going well and also that Melanie's alive. So it's just kind of a celebration to get all of that going um, and to celebrate science, which cool. Yay, science. Uh, But they invite uh, Mr. Wilford and also some of his crew. And so they decided to bring over three names. So they pick three names um, to go over to Snowpiercer. And one of them turns out to be kind of a friend to Alex, um, somebody that is the seamstress. And her name gets picked, which it seems like Alex probably had a hand in her name getting picked um, because they're friends. But that that made me feel a little bit good knowing that at least she's got somebody. Um, this girl looked like she was, you know, maybe a few years older than Alex, not a huge age difference, but, you know, maybe a little bit older, a little bit more mature. Um, but they seemed like they were buddies. So and she seemed very excited, the seamstress, that she gets to go over there, that she gets to go over to Big Alice. We then see... Um, the doctors, the weird, kind of kind of a little weird scientists, doctors that have developed the goop that fixes people's frostbite, we see them over on Snowpiercer helping assist the frostbite victims. And as they're talking, um, I think it was the male started to share what the, um, the goop actually was. And he says a hydrogel-based biomate excuse me, and I had to write that down because it was, um, I had to see what the closed captioning said about that because I couldn't quite catch what they were saying. And I don't even know what any of that means. Um, But the female doctor did not like him talking about that. She cut him off and said, shh, we don't talk about that. Um, So there's some secrecy involved in in that. Um, I saw one theory online that maybe the goop contains some kind of human flesh from the cannibalism 
scheme that had been going on on both Snowpiercer and probably Big Alice, too. Um, so I don't know. Um, I'm not going to claim that theory because I'm not the one that thought of it. But I did kind of think maybe there's some weird science that helps regenerate your skin from having other people's skin put on you or something. I don't I don't know. Um, so that's a theory. That's something that we'll have to have to wonder about. Then we see Ruth go and talk to Zara. And Ruth tells Zara, I know Andre doesn't trust me, but he can't really hold the fact that I still like Wilford against me. Which is, I, I love Ruth. Y'all know I love Ruth. But that's kind of bullshit. Um, of course he can. Because she needs to be kind of, she's kind of one foot in the door and one foot out. And you need to kind of commit to the cause. You're either in or you're out. And... Zara can kind of relate a little bit to how <clears throat> to what um, Ruth is feeling because she also feels like Andre is pushing her out. And so they come together to have a, a little idea to have Zara start working for hospitality because they're also afraid that he's going to get rid of the hospitality profession field career, whatever it is you would want to call it. So they decide to have Zara start working for hospitality. Maybe he'd be less likely to get rid of the profession if Zara's working for it. But then they can also both kind of keep tabs on him and hopefully get what they want. Um, So Ruth obviously wants um, to be able to maintain some kind of connection with Wilford, but still keep her job. Zara wants to be in a relationship with Andre and have, you know, have a nice little family with a picket fence. Um, I'm not sure how that would work on a train, but you know what I'm saying. So now the two of them are kind of coming together, which I thought was a, an interesting turn of things. Then we see Pike and Terrence talking and Pike uh, goes to make a trade with Terrence and it doesn't really go well. Um, Pike is still a little pissed off that Terrence kicked him out um, of the little VIP section and still looks down on him for being a taily. And so he kind of put Terrence in his place, which I give I give Pike credit for doing that because Terrence is scary. I don't know what it is about him, but he he is intimidating as hell. Um, and so they make a trade, which includes some weed, includes some Encyclopedia Britannicas, which made me think, I, I remember growing up with Encyclopedia Britannicas because the internet wasn't a thing until I was in high school. And so growing up in elementary school and junior high, if we had a paper we had to write or something like that, we were pulling out those Encyclopedia Britannicas. It is crazy to me to think that in the modern age, that would be something that would be such a coveted item. But maybe it would be. Who knows? Maybe it would be. Then we see um, four tailies jumped. uh, Is it B-O-C-Y? I I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name. Bochi? Boki? Boki? How do you say his name? Four tailies come and they jump that guy. Um, And that happened. They get reprimanded. The tailies get kind of yelled at by uh, Leighton and by Till. Um, they tell the tailies, we're handling this. If you think that he's the one that assaulted lights, just stay out of it. Let us handle it. Then Josie, then we cut to Josie and Miles comes and sees her. She's initially a little seems a little uncomfortable with this. He, which is kind of weird because she had a ton of other people in there. Um, the last Australian was in there. Um, 
The other little girl uh, that has been shown a lot was in there. Um, Andre's in there, but for whatever reason, she just did not want Miles to see her like that. Um, but she she just kind of says, I didn't want you to see me like this. And then they move on to have a, a conversation. And she finds out that Miles is working on um, some science that will help colonize the Earth. And she's just immensely proud of him. And it's it's a really, really great moment. Um, we then find out that Josie has to go to Big Alice uh, to get the treatment that she needs for her frostbite. So she's a little worried about that, understandably. But ultimately, she decides, you know what, I'm going to go. I'm going to go get this treatment because people are saying that it works. Plus, plus she needs it. I mean, it doesn't seem like she was really getting very much over on Snowpiercer anyway. They're all out of morphine. She knows she doesn't want that chronal stuff. Um, so she probably just really wants to be healed. But she also says, I can go over there and I can keep an eye on things. Um, I can keep an eye on Wilford. I can keep an eye on just Big Alice in general to see what's going on and how they're how they're running things over there, which I think is a, is a great idea. Kind of a little bit of a spy. Then we get to start the party. So the party for the science, um, the science of the weather balloon and all that stuff, the party starts. So everybody's in, it, it didn't look like they were, I couldn't tell, were they in the night car or the, it looked like maybe they were in the, um, the section where first class usually eats, but it was all done up, all beautiful, um, looked like a, a party car. And they immediately shine the spotlight on Mr. Wilford, but they didn't really keep the spotlight on him for that long. So I was immediately intrigued by this, um, that it was a very, it was a pretty quick flash. Um, they announced him, Mr. Wilford. And then after that, they announced Leighton and Leighton comes out looking like a million bucks, flashing that smile, and they kept the spotlight on him for quite a bit longer. So that was something that I thought was kind of interesting. And you could kind of see Wilford already is kind of grinding his teeth. He's already kind of grinding his teeth at this whole thing anyway, because he thinks Melanie's dead, or maybe he hopes Melanie's dead. As they're sitting there waiting for the ping, um, which would be uh, Melanie signaling that she is starting to gather the data from those weather balloons and that everything is in order and that she's alive and well. Wilford is starting is telling people who wants to take wages on whether Melanie's dead or not, um, which is pretty tongue in cheek and pretty horrible thing to say. But um, that's Wilford for you. So. They end up doing a toast to Wilford. Um, you know that he's just loving all of that attention. And then um, you see Miss Audrey getting ready to go out and perform. And she's talking to Zara and says, here's a, a tray with some drinks. Can you bring this to Mr. Wilford? And if I take him into the little hypnosis car, I don't even know what the experience car, I can't remember exactly what they call it, but... Um, if I take him in there and I'm not out in 30 minutes, come get me. And so you're already kind of wondering what is going to happen with her in there. She performs, she performs a, a nice, a nice song um, that was um, very, very slow and very sultry, um, had some quotes about, you know, I just want to be a woman and give me a reason to love you. I thought those were kind of interesting quotes to choose for your first song that you're singing towards somebody that you have such a history with. 
And then she goes and she sees him and they meet for the first time in seven years. They haven't seen each other in seven years. And she asks him, are you brushed and watered? And he says something like, I will be or something like that, Um, which is weird. What did that mean? We don't know. And then they go into the the experience car, the the car where Zara and Andre hooked up, um, where there's those curtains and she pulls them open and it kind of looks like a waterfall and there's different screens that play. It looks like it's actually pretty cool. Um, and they start talking about the difference in uh, what maybe they had intended the night car to be and then what it ended up being. And so Miss Audrey seems really proud of what she's created with the experience car, um, that it's a place of healing and that everybody came to Snowpiercer having lost something um, and that she created this as an experience for people to um, to be able to heal. And to this, uh, Mr. Wolford says, I never lost anything. I never lose anything. And it only takes him about 20 seconds to actually admit, I actually grieve losing you for seven years. And so that was a pretty quick turnaround for him to realize, you know what, I actually am vulnerable. I do have some vulnerable points and it's you. Um, But then we find out more about what happened between the two of them. And as they start to get into the... um, as they start to get into the experience of this experience car, whatever that means, whatever uh, she does to have people have these visions. um, He is back in the bathtub with Audrey and she, he's given her the knife um, to do the same thing that he had Kevin do. And so uh, she, it shows her cutting her wrist um, and It doesn't focus on it for too long, but basically they talk about it at a different point that she says, you had me do this. You had me slit my wrists. And he says, but I saved you. And so it kind of makes you start to wonder what is going on with Mr. Wilford and what kind of suicide fetish does he have? Cutting wrists fetish, bathtub fetish, blood fetish, um... Or is it just some really deep-rooted psychological, uh, I mean, that's obviously true, but is it is it more on the psychological end of things where he really wants to, to be able to save people and he's got that kind of hero complex? Um, so who knows? We don't know a ton about what happened with that, but she's obviously, Audrey is still alive um, and has that scar. So something happened. If he saved her, if he was going to let her die and he decided not to, I don't know. Um, still to be determined. We see a couple other characters pop up during the party. Um, we see Till, who's kind of still grieving the loss of her marriage to Jinju. And she ends up hooking up with the bartender. So that's cool. Till got some action. Don't know what's going to happen with the two of them, if that's going to be an ongoing relationship or if it was just a fling. Then we see the last Aussie talking to the seamstress from um, Big Alice And the last Aussie is, um, I believe his name is Murray, and he goes to serve her a drink or something like that. And they discover that they're both Australian. And it was just a really, I loved this moment. Um, It was just a moment of him saying, oh, you're not the last Australian, I'm the last Australian. And then they talked about where they were from. And you can tell that there's some energy between the two of them. Um, I was hoping he would meet somebody. Um, I wasn't sure if he would 
end up with uh, with Miss Audrey was a prediction I'd made a couple episodes ago. But, you know, I just want that guy to be happy. He seems like a good dude. Um, later on, they're saying their goodbyes and they want to find some way that they can continue to communicate with each other, even though they're on separate trains. And so the last Aussie gives her his lucky set of goggles and says, wear these and somebody will communicate with you. So who knows what the hell that means. Um, but we're, we've got some magic goggles now thrown into the mix. We'll have to see what happens with that. We also see LJ and Alex um, kind of link up and they know each other from childhood, which makes sense. Um, Alex was kind of in the Wilford world before Snowpiercer. Um Melanie obviously was close with Wilford and helped develop the train for years and years before it departed. And LJ and her parents were very close with Wilford. They were helping provide a lot of funding. So LJ and Alex seem like they're about similar in age. And so they knew each other from from childhood. And LJ tells Alex, yeah, you were such a nerd. And Alex says, yeah, you were such a bitch. And they're both kind of like, well, yeah, that's pretty accurate. So they go up to a little snow dome kind of thing where they can see out into the world um, and they bring their Encyclopedia Britannicus and they smoke some weed. And so um, good for them that they're able to have a little bit of fun and make some friends. So who knows what the two of them will be up to if they're going to have some shenanigans in the future. Then we see it cuts back to Wilfred and Audrey again. And he's he's just looking like he's lusting after her. Um, and so, and, and saying, please, I want it. I need it. So of course you're thinking he just wants to have sex. He wants to bang her, but then she starts pulling out some food. At first I thought maybe it was like fondue. There was something that looked like it was dripping, um, like a, a piece of fondue, but then something also looked like an oyster to me. Um, but then later on we see some, some mangoes and some fruit type of thing that she's feeding him. So, it, it there's some real weird dynamics between the two of them that we don't totally know a lot about. Um, but there's some issues with food going on there as well. Um, and so Zara comes and gives them the five minute warning and Zara peeks in and sees Audrey feeding him some weird food in a weird way. And so now Zara knows there's something going on. So I don't think that's the end of that storyline. Obviously we'll find out more about this. Then we cut to to the big reveal. Um, has uh, Melanie pressed the button or done what she needed to do on her end with uh, the balloon getting up into the air? It's got to be at 35,000 feet, I think they said, um, for Melanie to be able to match her signal or whatever. And so as they're waiting for the balloon to get to 35,000 feet, it's it's very suspenseful. You can tell that that's what they're going for. Everybody's quiet. You can hear a pin drop. Um, and so what does Wilford do? He is playing with a balloon um, because it's a party and they had balloons. Um, and he pops it um, right in the middle of this suspenseful moment. Um, which is just so Wilford. I mean, it, it made me jump out of my seat. I don't know if it did you as well. Um, but he he looked like a giant ass. Um, and he's so annoyed. He's so annoyed by the whole thing. And he's just waiting for there to be no ping um, because he thinks Melanie is dead. And he's hoping Melanie's dead because she is yet another person that is in his way of being in complete authoritarian power. And so 
He pops the balloon. That was a, a jumping in your chair moment. And then we hear the ping. And so Melanie's alive. They're gathering the data. Everything with the science is working the way that we want to. And so it was a good moment. It was a good moment. So the party kind of comes to a close. Um, and Miss Audrey is kind of reflecting um at the end of the party about how Wilford is exactly where we want him. So again, kind of speaks to the dynamics between the two of them. Don't really know what the, what the power and control is like between the two of them. Um, but she feels good about it. She feels good about whatever happened between the two of them, that she feels like he's exactly where they want him to be. The, the episode ends with um, Wilford, Um, Excuse me, you see Josie over on Big Alice. She gets wheeled over there in a great send-off. Everybody's stomping the floor kind of in solidarity for her. And so they bring her over to the medical unit or whatever unit they have, and they lay her down next to Icy Bob. Um, So she peers over and she sees Icy Bob laying there, and then she peers over to the other side and you see Wilford peeking in at her. Um, So who knows what's going to happen with that? And that is where the episode ended. So it was, it was a great episode. I I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed all of the different, um, the new aspects and the new questions that we have that were introduced while answering some questions. There's still a lot of things that we don't know. And so something that I noticed, and I I just didn't notice it before. Um, maybe I just don't pay attention to these kind of details as much as I should, but I'm, I'm working on it. I noticed a strong boy, had a train track tattoo on his arm. And I, I just never noticed it before. So it kind of is making me wonder a little bit about Strong Boy. Um, he's kind of fishy. He um, was mute before going in the drawers. Um, he would be an interesting one for Wilford to target because he could be a great spy because he never talked. And so he can just kind of fade into the background um, and nobody would really pay attention. So maybe Strong Boy's the one that kind of was playing both sides of the fence here. Um, And maybe those train tracks, who knows what that train track tattoo means or if it symbolizes anything or if he had it before or maybe he just worked on a train and liked trains. I don't know. Um, But it kind of made me look at, it kind of made me think a little bit about Strong Boy. What's going on with him? Maybe he's part of this. Another question that I had that I wrote down was, what the heck is Audrey doing to get these people in this uh, hallucination state that she gets people into? Um, is, is there some kind of drug that she gives them? Is it um, some kind of hypnosis? Um, people were talking about this in some of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of, that it it seems maybe like some kind of hypnosis kind of thing um, because people are able to stand up and walk out of there. And so if she had done something like drug the drink that she gave him, that she had Zara delivered to him beforehand, um, he might not be able to quite stand up and shake it off and go participate in the party the way that he did after that. So maybe it's some kind of hypnosis. Um, Maybe we've got some weird thing going on with those mangoes. The mangoes just keep showing up in weird ways. Who knows? Who knows? Um, Also, continued questions about other survivors. Um, You guys know my theory has been that uh, there's some secret survivors stuck on Big Alice. Um, Maybe the Folgers are back there somewhere. Um, the, The further we get from 
that that event where those seven train cars were uh, removed from Snowpiercer, the less likely this seems, and I'm willing to admit that, but I'm still kind of ho- holding out some hope that they that they might still be on there. But we might also get some other survivors um, based off of the fact that Melanie is going to the snow station. Um, I think it was Ben and Javi might have said, you know, maybe there's some people there. Um, you know, the, some weather-controlled weather station. Um, there's also been talk of bunkers that people had built. And, you know, if if we knew that the end of the world was coming and that there was very limited tickets on this coveted train, uh, people, would be, people would be doing what they need to do to try to survive. And so that means we're pulling out some of the old, these old bunkers, you know, nuclear war style. Um, so maybe there would be some survivors with, um, with that. Who knows? I, I think that would be a, a really cool angle for the show to take because it would introduce some new characters. Um, but then we're also getting some new characters just by getting to know some of these people from Big Alice, like the new Last Australian. So um, that's just continues to be a question mark, continues to be a question mark with this show. So as we wrap up this episode, my random, burning, completely irrelevant question today has to do with Miss Audrey. And I thought about this. I've been thinking about this for a while, but I definitely thought about this um, the day um, the day that this episode aired because this episode was so centered on Miss Audrey. And it made me think about if you could only have one entertainer on a on a train like Snowpiercer, would you who would you pick? Um, and I'm not bringing up this topic because I don't like Miss Audrey or the actress that plays her. The actress that plays her um, is named Lena Hall, and I did a little digging on her. She's won a Tony Award, and I really like her. Um, I really like her character. I really like the way that she plays her. Um, if you look at a picture of Lena Hall compared to when she's in character as Miss Audrey, they they almost look like two completely different people. So I really give the actress a lot of credit for what she's done with the character. And I do really like her voice. Um, I really do think that she's got a very beautiful, um, a, a really beautiful voice that I, I really could see myself buying some, not, we don't buy CDs anymore, but, um, you know, downloading some of her songs and listening to them. It's very easy to listen to. Um, so I am by no means saying anything negative about Lena Hall or Miss Audrey. What I am saying is if you could create your own train with your own entertainment system, who would you pick? Because Mr. Wilford obviously thinks she's the end all be all to everything, but maybe I would rather have somebody that can be a bit more, um, have a bit more range in what they're able to do. So now we know that Miss Audrey can also dance, but she doesn't really do very much of that on stage. Um, I'm not sure if I've seen her play any instruments, but, you know, I immediately thought of like Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift, which I know a lot of you people are probably going to be like, oh my God, barf, which I know pop music is a little barfy. Um, But hear me out. Would you want somebody that can only do one thing up there? Or would you want somebody that can put on a different kind of show? Um, For a while, Lady Gaga had her pop music show in Vegas where, you know, it's all lights and glitter and soundstage and all that kind of stuff. And then at the same time, she was putting on her duets show with Tony Bennett, which was just a piano. So I would think, you know, that's you're going to get two very different feels from the same performer. Would you want somebody that 
can can do more things like that. Um, I would maybe pick somebody like that. But then I also thought about, would you want like an opera singer or something like that? Something, somebody that can sing a, a regular song up there, but can also do something really culturally deep and, you know, uh, something like opera that shows how well versed I am in opera, but maybe somebody would want that, especially the people in first class. Um, so I, again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying anything bad about Lena Hall, but I'm just wondering who would you guys pick? Would you guys pick somebody that, um, can, that has kind of a minimal range in what they're able to do, but what they are able to do is really good. Or would you want somebody that can do more things, can play more instruments, but maybe it's not quite as good for your tastes? just kind of something to think about. And that's that's kind of the point of these random, burning, completely irrelevant questions. We don't really have the answers to them. It's just kind of to make you think. Um, so yeah, so there's my random, burning, completely irrelevant question of the day. And feel free to join the Facebook group and let me know who would you pick? Who would your entertainers be on there? Um, would you want somebody like Lena Hall um, with that kind of voice? Or would you want uh, Pavarotti, who I sadly discovered is dead? Um, He was the only opera singer I I thought of, and I looked it up, and he died a few years ago. So that shows how well-versed I am in opera. But let me know. Let me know. Post on the Facebook group what your thoughts are. So that brings me to the end of this episode um, of Brace in Place based on Season 2, Episode 4, A Single Trade of the show Snowpiercer. So thank you for joining in. Don't forget to join the Facebook group and leave an iTunes review. And a quote, as Miss Audrey has said, Every day, every one of us makes a trade. A pencil for a pen, an apple for an orange, a dance for a smile. But these trades don't always go the way you plan. You give more than you get, the terms change, you end up having to trade yourself.